covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier. Welcome in fans of 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast. Zach Heilman back in studio after a, a few weeks of, let's just say, life and work having things get in the way, but I'm glad to be back on the show and back here for episode 124 of the Inside the Walls podcast, NAL Rebound Edition, week 17. Glad we get to jump on. Been watching the games, really some fascinating matchups this past weekend. Uh, one I think that was, I would say, very unexpected, and one that we were wondering uh, really about the starting rosters and how that could impact the matchup and the playoff implications and home field standing of one team. We'll jump into all of this this week and much more as I get to finally reconvene a little bit more and get to finally chat in per well on camera in person again once more with my buddy pal co-host the guy that i think is the uh adam Schefter of the nal and arena football in my eyes it is jim renier i'm glad to be bringing him back on and getting to finally chat with him once more it is uh i know it's only been two weeks it's been too long i'm glad to be here with you and getting to chat um glad that to see that you got to sit in and have uh phil and ralph on um and get some get some trifecta coverage, if you will, uh, kind of like a more of a panel. Nice to see you guys on there, but glad to be back on. And uh, let's just say last week, and I'll let you, of course, touch on this, but last week I think uh, outcomes both surprising, although for different reasons, and I think uh, stuff that we'll touch on that obviously is some context to both of those reasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the final NAL rebound of the 2023 season. Last regular season version. We'll be yeah, talking uh, championship coming up here soon. Oh, wow. It's been a hell of a ride this season. A lot of ups and downs, drama-filled excitement, upsets, comebacks, historical blowouts, and oh, hum, we're down to four teams for the rain of the year because of the postseason. It's winter, go home time. Um, but, yes, again, uh, Zach, welcome back. It's been a long time. Uh, <laughs> we've been in constant communication. But so, but it was cool to have Phil on. It was cool to have Ralph on. And it was cool to have Joshua Jackson on to help fill the mold. Um, but that's one thing about Inside the Walls podcast. No matter if it's you missing a couple episodes or me missing a couple episodes, we can always find people in our community that can jump right in, fill those shoes, and still produce a great episode of Inside the Walls. Uh, it. Let's just say last week, week 17 – if a lot of our listeners listened to me and Phil, we talked about the games and you had, you had stuff ready to send my way, unfortunately due to time constraints and your work and our production time, and, you know, misstep. Let's talk about what you thought entering last week's games, not even when the games actually are played or results. We'll talk about the results later, but what were your thoughts pre week 17? Well, you know, I appreciate you giving me that opportunity because I didn't feel like I earned that since I didn't give you the videos, but I'll, I'll give it, I'll be real quick. Um, entering into week 17, uh, I'm looking at for, for sharks, cobras. My thing was who's playing for the sharks. Are we going to do a full starting roster and we're going to be playing full bore against the cobras, you know, make this a regular season finish and strong, uh, put full forces behind it and put Sam Castronova out there to play, or do we kind of step some things back. Do we put in Eddie Brill? Do we, you know, maybe we don't run everything at 
full force, but maybe we try and be competitive and put out a good product. You know, at least something that we can get out there. We can kind of view the Cobras and then put that to the side for maybe if that scenario comes up in the championship game because they won't be playing them next week. They'll be playing the Preds as that's been established a few weeks for already. Uh, for the Preds and Warbirds, honestly, I just wanted the Predators to come out. I thought it would be more of a just get a good win under you and get some positive momentum towards your game against Jacksonville and just to see what it was going to be like in the QB room, as we always find out with Orlando this year, is Joseph Hesback under center? Uh, did Rakeem Cato, you know, is he getting that shot? What's the deal with Rakeem Cato these days? You know, that's what we were waiting on. We saw a little bit of both of those in this uh, last week, and I and I think both of those both those answers came out into fruition for Week 17. Um, as Jacksonville, we'll talk about a little bit here as we get into games. They, you know, they played the safe approach and. I think West Texas finished on a really strong note and has to feel great about themselves wherever they're going to be on their destination after this year. Um, it's a good final send off and it was a really nice crowd at the Ector Memorial Coliseum. Very loud, very into it. You know, it's good to get a third win under their belt to end the year. Well, it was a good win. And mm-hmm. based on your assumptions, you thought the same as I did that what Jacksonville was going to do. Like, hey, Brill, a couple players didn't make the trip. They're going to get a couple of good possessions in. You're going to see a lot of these players have a lot of rest time. And, oh, home, that's what happened. Right. <laughs> it's not a shock. Uh, but out west in Odessa, it was more of a, a West Texas team that was in a lot of these games at the end, just couldn't pull it off. And Orlando going out there like warm-up game before the playoffs, trying to get a couple things right. Turned out to not be a warm-up game for them. And West Texas kind of stunned them. And you look on the other side of the field with Carolina and up in uh, Greensboro, a team that basically knew that there was an opportunity to win the game, get the two seed, and they did so. I guarantee you... Carolina players will say, maybe Zach Brown in our chat will say that they could have played a better game. They knew they, they won't say it, but watching it, you knew Jacksonville was kind of going through the motions. Like, oh, we're here. We, we get the one seed. When you, when Sam Castronova doesn't start, tells you all your answer is what Jacksonville was thinking in that game. And Eddie Brill, give him credit, kept the Sharks in the game. He did. Wasn't expect, wasn't expecting that. But Week 17 was so anticlimactic. It was almost like, oh, we kind of predicted it. Because the seeds were already clenched. We, San Antonio and Carolina were either going to be the two or the three or vice versa. It wasn't going to change. We knew what Jacksonville Orlando was going to be anyways. Orlando was going to travel to Jacksonville. So week 17 was really – there really wasn't no play-in game type of scenario what we could have had between West Texas and Orlando that never came to fruition. But now when you look to this weekend's games, the first round of the playoffs, you have one team in Carolina that's on a five-game winning streak. You have Jacksonville, who's still on a roll. It just had a lot of players rest. 
A lot of people say, well, I think that's a bad idea for just Sharks to rest players. I don't think so, because if you rest players, your guys will have more rest. They're home in the home home environment. They already know who they're playing. Why risk getting major injuries to some of your key players in a meaningless game in Week 17 for them? Carolina did what they had to do to get a two-seat. San Antonio Mm -hmm. was off. Weren't going to do anything anyways. San Antonio was hoping that Jacksonville will win the game so they could host a playoff game. Unfortunately, that did not happen. But San Antonio already knew who they were going to play next week. It was already set in stone two weeks ago who they were going to face. It was just depending on the venue. That was it. And now we're down to four teams. We got the playoffs for West Texas. Hell of a first year in the NAL. Ups and downs. It happens. It's the business of the game. But one thing you guys can say this year, um, the property, the Orlando Predators are part of your property because you brought the brooms out this year on them and swept them. Man, that's pretty good. So the, the what, top gunner is going off on that, by the way, on social media. It's like our Orlando, our house. Hey, take uh, wins where you can. You know, that's that's how I'll I'll ride with that. You know, because I I'll be honest with you that that game shocked me just for the sake of the fact that even though. The Preds mm-hmm. have some have had a QB question. I think no matter what week it's been, yes, we Danny Southwick was on a trend for a few weeks, and we were thinking that that was going to be it. They stabilize the QB, get someone that's like a Patrick O'Brien from two years ago, and that's it. They just need that, and then they can run ride that course. That hasn't happened, and they've gone back to being kind of this chaotic who do we throw behind center type of team. And you know what? I, I don't even think that's fully what costed them against West Texas. West Texas just wanted it more. I think they just wanted it that much more, even though both even though both sides were, I think were just making some interesting play call choices and or some errors on the Easter mm-hmm. end. West Texas, at the end of the day, I think just wanted it that much more than Orlando, and that's given the fact that Orlando on paper, you look at that roster. How do you tell me that roster loses to the Warbirds? And credit the Warbirds have gotten some good additions too. Mm-hmm. Walter Thomas is on that team now. That was a recent end of the year signing. Trayvon Shorts had a heck of a game. You know, they got guys, Savante Davenport. I'm not knocking them. But if I'm looking roster-to-roster namings, Pred should be walking out of that building with a win and getting a fifth win under under their belt to go into the playoffs. That is a big disappointment if you are Coach Walls and Ware, and especially owner John Chaney, who, why is he on the turf at the end of that game? I don't get it. But <laughs> those three should be sitting there and looking at themselves in the mirror and going, we got to have some quick fixes. Otherwise, take it in next year, and we need to reevaluate mm-hmm. what we're doing once again. And West Texas does have some solid players. They do. And inside the walls, I'm going to just say, officially, put our ballot in. Trayvon Schwartz got a recognition from us. Uh, so he he's a dynamic player. Weber's a dynamic player. I talked to Weber when he was here in Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. Shared our thoughts with him. He appreciates it. He says, much respect to you, Zach. Thank you. Um, West Texas is that type of team. Early in the year, they were trying to find themselves. They finally found themselves. They finally had a quarterback in Mitch Kidd. Mitch Kidd goes down with an injury. Then you go through a stretch where you play San Antonio. Seems like every single week for like the whole month of June, it's that feel <laughs> yes. like. And then, oh, you get a break. It's Jacksonville. Um, they went through a stretch where it was tough games. For them, if, for them as an organization, 
Tate Smith, a, a coach that you can tell what type of game plan they're always trying to run. They have a good mindset and a good course they want to go to. And 2024 is going to be exciting for that organization. And they have talent there. They got players there that are guys that they can be key contributors for that organization in the future, like Cornelius Lewis, Trayvon Shorts, uh, Weber, um, Childress, the name of yes. few. Uh, but again, the offseason's unique. Free agency is a unique thing in this sport. And sometimes some of these players in our game just get to a certain age where they're like, I- I'm good. It's, it's time. And there's a couple of players that could be in that question this offseason for West Texas and, and any team in the NAL, for instance. But for West Texas, well, speaking of that, well, let's get into that uh, about before we get into the our playoff talk, basically, or the yeah, other really. game. Uh, the final score was in overtime. No, wrong game. No, wrong game. Was in overtime. <laughs> 43 to 40, uh, 47, or 43 to 37 final in overtime in Odessa. Very exciting finish in that game. Um, missed field goal at the end. Almost was returned back for a rebound net. Kick, it's close. Kick six almost. Um, but then Orlando went four and out. Odessa got the ball, went right down the field. And with a big time win, they were trying to challenge it. There were some challenges that was just the guy was in, in the air and he never touched the ground. But desperation challenge yeah. that's all you can do. You you have it, use it. But again, I get it. My main qualm with that was again, why why is John Cheney on the turf for that? Like well, an owner being on the turf, that's a you know where it was at. That's where the visiting team is. So it's easy I'm access. Aware. Like, yes. I'm aware, but we're still in game. That's the thing. If it's end of game, I, I get it. it. But, he, but you're talking a guy that's talking directly to refs. That's you know. That's I, where I see I'm where you get. I wouldn't. At, yeah. I wouldn't talk about this if it wasn't that you have him sitting there with other coaches trying to argue a case, because he shouldn't be there. I see where you. you know? are, but I think the game was officially called after that. Before that, so I think that's the reason why he was there. If that's uh, if that's I, true, then I take my statement back. But yeah. if not, you know. Yeah, I understand. It, it's some. I got to rewatch it, but I think it was after the the replay was already finalized and they called the game. That's my opinion. Uh, but when you looked at get into this game more, what really was stunning is that early in the game, it felt like Orlando was in their early groove. Kata looked pretty well. Hess came in, did a couple of good things. But then the second quarter happened and everything stopped. Like no points were scored in the second half or second quarter. Zero. Well, I ask again, you know, where is uh, what, what is the deal with, with Hakeem Cato right now? Because the second half, I see Joseph S come out and I'm like, OK, that's fine. But mm, didn't didn't show an injury. He walked off on his own power. What's yeah. the deal there? We'll never truly know unless someone says, but I'm never, whenever we don't go off rumors, we go off, you know, what's been told to us. But mm-hmm. that was a fascinating element to the second half because Hess has been there and through the ringer, but you lose that mobility that Rakeem brings to your offense for a line that has had its, its moments of uh, lapses as we saw. Shy Hill feasted on the edge, by the way, this week. Yes. And Rakeem Cato felt it in the first half. He was beating Tolbert on a consistent basis off the uh, off the right side. 
Well, one of the things that I noticed about in this game that was very unlike him was Darius Prince. Darius Prince only had 90 receiving yards in this game, and that's kind of low for him. It does. Uh, for a guy yeah. that averages almost 140 to 150 a game. But when you look at overall, the, Trey Long was getting some. Mm-hmm. Clarence Williams was getting a couple of catches. So it looked like the ball was being, where, like you like to say, diversify the portfolio. That was happening. Mm-hmm. But I could tell in this game, the quarterback stats for both guys scream at consistency. Nine for 19, six for 13. One threw for 78 yards, the other one threw one 35. Both have two, both Toll had two touchdown passes. Darius Prince had a touchdown pass. Hmm. So that's three touchdown passes total. You're not going to win a lot of arena football games throwing for three touchdowns. I don't care if it's one quarterback or four quarterbacks. If you throw three touchdowns and passing, you're not going to win any game. I don't care no, I don't. what level of the game you're in. Uh, but I got to give praise where praise is due for the Orlando side. And sometimes we don't give this guy any credit, but he's very secretly had a hell of a year. And that is none other than Dylan Barnos. He, he yeah. got himself a deuce. He was perfect on extra points. Um, one thing I love about our game in arena football is that deuces – in the kicking game is a weapon in our sport. It's not just like, oh, we got to go kick. Oh, here we go. It's crucial in our sport. Every touchdown, extra points are huge, and the deuces are even bigger. Dylan Barnos has been that bright spot for Orlando all year, in my opinion. Another bright spot for them is Freddie Blue Floyd. That's been given. That's been a bright spot for them, and actually got recognition from inside the walls from about from the player ballots that were just officially announced. Are I brought in, I officially announced yet. So the bright spots, I look at Orlando, especially this past game. The one guy that I want to say didn't really disappoint me, but I would ex- hopefully would expect a little bit more from him was none other than Brandon Cisse. I know he plays, yeah. he's he's a defensive spe- or defensive, he's Iron Man. He plays both defense and offense. He's usually more of a beast on the defensive side than he is on the offensive side. Um, not saying that he's not a good player. I'm just saying that he wrecks more havoc on the defensive side of the ball than he does than on the offense. I didn't hear a lot. I didn't hear his name a lot this past week for tackles, and that is either a good thing or a bad thing. The good thing is maybe West Texas scheduled the game around him and avoid him, or he couldn't get to Chris Ware. That was the one thing that really got me. I think Chris Ware also is uh, very slippery. Uh, he was a had, bit, had yes. a pretty pretty solid job of being elusive in the pocket mm-hmm. in several instances. You know, couldn't see Freddie Booth get back there. Cisse, um, even with Nick, even when Nick Hag would try and go for a blitz up the one of the A gaps. You know, I mean, credit they did get a few chances at him, but there were a few instances where it felt like Ware was a little more agile than he usually is. In yeah. the backfield, I, I will. I do think that those names should be called when we talk again. We talk about this roster, how it's been constructed right now. You know, we're talking like there's a lot. If you look at the on paper, there's a quite a few all NAL talents names mm-hmm. spread across both sides of the ball. Correct. And I'm in, 
I, again, I'm more, I, every week now I keep un, being a little more unsure as to what the potential of this squad is at the moment, because at, at this point now, the, the whole, your argument on earlier in the season on, well, they need to mesh and maybe it's going to take some time. Well, it's been some time. You know, it's we, been the whole season. It's, it's been now about, yeah. And with the guys from Albany coming in, it's now been right. about half a season. So what's the deal? You know, you have a you have a very talented on paper roster. This roster and should all-star be roster. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, you like defensive side. I can I can keep listing them off. I mean, Fuente, Brandon Fuentes has been back more recently. He got burned a few times this game. I was kind of like, wow. You know, I was kind of impressed to a few of these passes that he was, uh, you know, getting kind of I would say mossed on. If you could see, Josh Jenkins had one or two instances, but again, you know, secondary wasn't really on its A game. Trey Long just recently joining in. You know, it felt like they were discombobulated in that regard on defense. Offensively, I think it really just comes down to that they have not had a consistent floor at quarterback, and I don't know what's going on anymore because I get why they re- picked up Hess because they're saying, screw it, we'll have Hess as either backup or a guy that's in and a little more youth compared to Danny. Mm-hmm. And if Rakeem's here, we'll go with Rakeem. But again, Rakeem goes out after a half, and he's not back. And credit, I don't want to speculate on injuries or anything but we did this earlier in the year where it seems like he's in one game he's not in one game he's in for a half he's not in for a half what's the deal you know you you can't have that kind of inconsistency if it's a player that's on and off or not and i i don't i'm not saying that this is what's happening or i'm not going to insinuate on what might specifically be happening but that doesn't help (laughs) and to me, you might as well like when you go and play Jacksonville. When we when when you guys do the game day setup, like my two cents just early put on is just throw Joseph Hess in. Screw it. Like he's already been there all year, and yo, I know he was let go, but you might as well because he's available. You know, mm-hmm. I I would not. Rakeem is to me the better talent, but if it's just going to be like one half and he disappears again, that's not going to do anything for you in a playoff game. You know, but that's what we're dealing with defensively there's no cohesion right now it feels like the secondary is just getting lost every few series offense you can't you can't get anything going because your quarterback's always being changed out you know you have good receivers Clarence Williams was the number one receiver last year he's been reduced to a number two at best because of target share and credit Darius Prince is here we we assume that was going to happen because he is a number one de facto receiver. He's your top guy. Wherever team he goes to, he is generally going to be the top guy. Maybe not Jacksonville. He might be trying to fight for targets there. But any other team in the NAL right now, he's your number one guy. And, man, it stinks that Williams and company get kind of bogged down. But it seems like you can't get as much, I think, going. Because if you're a quarterback coming in, you're going to go, well, Darius is my go-to guy. You know? If I'm the new one switched in, I'm just going to go with Darius. I have much more trust over him. And you see it every game now. Even with this one, he got 90 yards like you're talking about, but I'm with you. Darius, for his production, should be getting like 130 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there were a few passes during this one that I'll give credit to West Texas defenders. They knocked down a few passes that if they go a different way, I feel like scoring possessions happen more frequently and Orlando does get a win. Because you saw Orlando was settling for field goals a lot more. It was almost like they were trying to copy West Texas. Who could who could kick the most field goals in their mm-hmm. own game against West Texas? Which West Texas, as we've talked on this show, and as we know about when we've seen Coach Tate Smith run their offense, he likes to go for the field goals, which I get. 
but it was weird because even with the Preds and Dylan Barnas is a good kicker, but it felt like they were settling, which I was like, yeah, you have nothing to play for in this game, but you're settling. You're doing the same thing that your opponent's doing right now. And you have more firepower. That didn't make sense to me. Yeah. But also Phil brought up a good point last week. Two teams in this playoffs have consistent quarterbacks. Malik Henry and Sam Castronova. Yes. Two teams in this playoffs have inconsistency at the quarterback position. Orlando and San Antonio. The two teams that have consistent quarterbacks are the top two seeds. The teams that are inconsistent are the bottom two. I'm sensing Just a pattern. Tell- since a pattern where your quarterback is the main, not main reason, but he is one of the main contributors to success. Carolina has Malik Henry's had a, honestly, if Sam Castronova wasn't playing this year, Malik Henry could very well be a front runner MVP because of his performance. Offensive player of the year, of course, maybe this year, but there's a lot of candidates. Sam Castronova has had a hell of a year. He has like one of the most ridiculous touchdown interception ratios of any arena football quarterback in in recent history. Pretty dang good. Yeah. I think it's like 47 and two or 51 and two. It's crazy. It's a, it's a number where you look back and you look at, Breaking down games, it's, not, it's just basically a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of critics don't understand when you break down football games, if it's outdoor, if it's indoor, if it's backyard. It's funny how it always comes down to the single caller. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the analytics, doesn't matter what the temperature outside or if the AC is blowing hard enough or the sun's out. It all depends on who the, who the, uh, the single caller is. And we've seen teams in the past in the NAL have great quarterback play. Last year, look at the two teams that made the, AFC, uh, the championship game. Albany and Carolina. Jonathan Bain, Sam Castronova. Two years ago, Tommy Grady, Mason Espinoza. Three years ago after that, Jonathan Bain, Mike Faithful, Charles McCollum. Four years after that, or five years after that, was Charles McCollum and Mason Espinoza. Or that it's, there's a trend with the names of the quarterbacks there. In arena football, I know this is being a you know a nail into a drum, wherever you want stupid terminology. I mess up on terminology like being a dead sure. horse. I think don't don't yeah, yeah. don't whatever. Quarterback play in arena football is crucial. The better quarterback you have, the further you'll go no matter what. Yes, there will be some games where you'll upset a team that has the better quarterback and you, you know, caught on fire. But when you look at the two teams that are the two lower seats entering this week's games, they have a question mark at the quarterback position. But one of those two teams has a pretty solid team around that quarterback position that doesn't need cohesion, doesn't need time to gel. They're a solid team from that. And they have two quarterbacks on roster where if those two guys caught on fire, they're a scary team, and that's San Antonio. 
Yes. This whole season with Orlando, we saw spurts of, oh, this looks good. Oh, this looks good. But you look at the opponents they played on those spurts. You go, oh, Albany. Okay. What do you expect? They did it against San Antonio, which was almost like, I think, a butt saw for San Antonio. They just, a long road trip after a heart lo- a fought loss to Jacksonville. So they're trying to rebound. But when you look at those two games, Orlando has Danny Southwick. The offense looked incredible. But you mentioned it. Cato has a great talent. Has done well for Orlando early in the year. But the inconsistency in Orlando all revolves around the single caller. What does the other three teams have? At one point, the other three teams in the playoff field have had a consistent quarterback. Arvell, Malik, Sam. Orlando has always been a turnstile. Is it in Tess? Is it Danny? Is it Darius? Is it Cato? We don't know. It's just a <laughs> circular pattern there. But we know as as guys who have covered this sport over the last two and a half years, we look at Orlando's roster and go, that's an all-star team of talent. Then you look over in Carolina and go, well, that's an all-star team too. And you look at Jacksonville, well, of course, they're an all-star team, and they're probably led by the MVP right now. It's just so hard when people say, well, well Orlando's 4-8. and eight. It's like, yeah, they're 4-8. and eight. They had a hard year. But technically... Will they be in this position right now if other teams are still in the league? We don't know. But the talent they have on that team, it got them to this point. They got enough wins to get to the four seed. So now, throw away the four and eight record. Throw away the 10 and three record by Jacksonville. It's zero and zero. It's winner go home time. It's postseason time. And last, the touch up last about the West Texas game. Yes, West Texas had some great moments. Great finish, dramatic ending of the game. It was a very exciting game at the end. But it's almost like a decompression type. Like, okay, the season's over. Decompress. Let's see what we got to do next. And Orlando just came off of a heartbreaking loss. All the way in Odessa. Have to come back to Orlando to get a couple days of practice. Maybe miss a day of practice. And you have to drive up north play your rivals again in Jacksonville in the Shark Tank, which tickets are going off like crazy right now for that playoff game in Jacksonville. Fan Appreciation Day. Get your tickets now. 6210700, extension 170. It's been a few years since we've seen a home Sharks game. So, in the postseason, yeah. Right, in the postseason. So that that's definitely going to be popping off. I mean, 2019. Right. Also number one seed. So if you win, people get to go right back to Jacksonville, Correct. or well, well, they're in Jacksonville, but you know what I'm saying. They go right back to Vice Star next mm-hmm. week, the week after that is to Correct. see a game. So, that's, that's, yeah, big spe- big deal again. And so, speaking of that, the playoffs are here. Playoffs. Don't talk. Well, sorry, we're going to talk about them because I could I could make that joke, but sorry, playoffs are here. It's time discussion. We got the official seedings. Jim's got this beautiful graphic, as always, bringing you up. 
to snuff on what the bracket's looking like. As we've discussed, the Sharks and the Predators for a while, we knew this was coming up. These two are playing. Honestly, we knew both both these matchups were coming up. The only question we had was who's getting the home game with Carolina and San Antonio and the Cobras. You know what? They got and took care of business. They rallied, did what they needed to do. All the pieces fell into place. Mm-hmm. Folks in Greensboro, you get to get one more game to get to play over at the Greensboro Memorial Coliseum. That'll be a fun time. Gunslinger's got a week off and we'll be fascinated to discuss their decision at QB that we might be having to talk about. But here's your playoff bracket, folks. One through four teams. Semifinals coming up now. Championship mm-hmm. next week. No more no more standings, no more media polls, no more nothing. It's four teams, two wins championship will be claimed next Saturday or next Sunday here in the National Arena League. And of course, if you are in Carolina, listen to our show right now. Zach Brown's listening to our show. I know that for sure. Tickets are on sale now. Visit carolinacobras.com. Go to Ticketmaster. Tickets are available on Ticketmaster or call the ticket office now to get your tickets for the playoff game against the San Antonio Gunslingers. Ticketmaster does have West Texas as the team, but it's the the San Antonio Gunslingers. Two versus three seed in that matter. And just FYI to the fans out there about the playoffs, home teams are 13-2 and in the playoffs in the NAL. The two teams that are currently still in the league that have been in the postseason are undefeated in the playoffs when they're at home. That is the Jacksonville Sharks. That is the Carolina Cobras. Both those teams are 8-0 at home when they're hosting a playoff game. When they're on the road, they're both defeated. Carolina's 0-2 and 0-3, and Jacksonville is 0-2. So, home cooking both in Greensboro and in Jacksonville. Remember, tickets are on sale. Sharks.com, Ticketmaster. Also, CarolinaCobras.com on Ticketmaster and the local office, Jacksonville, 671-0700, extension 1701. What a perfect time to take a friend or somebody new to a game than a playoff game. Correct. Perfect atmosphere. So, uh, hey, you find, you got some buddies looking for something to do? I'd say this is a good, affordable way to get in on a professional playoff game and get probably, arguably – maybe the second most exciting experience of the year. The championship is going to be the most exciting experience. Let's be, I'll be frank, no matter where it's at, it is the, it is the most hyped experience of the NAL season, but this is a perfect time to go. If you are looking to get in on the action, get someone new in on the action. Trust me, you bring someone to an arena football game. It is 99 times out of a hundred. Someone's going to say, wow, I love this sport already. It happens every time. It's the, it's how the sport gets built. You bring someone new in, they fall in love with it. It's just how it is. So bring a new buddy along for some two competitive games that I'm looking forward to very much so. And also, if you go to the Jacksonville Sharks, if you're in Jacksonville or you're traveling Jacksonville, you're going to be very well entertained. We do have a PA guy who is a genuine dude. You might have had him on the show. (laughs) We might have him on the show, yes. Might have him on the show again this week. He has something special for the Predators this week. It's been working on it. You guys are going to enjoy it. I know Uh, where this is going. But speaking about Jacksonville, we got to recap the game of the week from last week. 
and the final game of the 27, 2022, 2023 season. Holy crap, I'm everywhere. Thinking about postseason, that's what's going on. The 2023 oh season. My gosh. I was thinking 2017, which is the first year. Uh, 2023 season, the Jacksonville Sharks traveled to Carolina Cobras and dropped their final game to the Cobras 50 to 37. In this game, Eddie Brill got the start for the Jacksonville Sharks. A couple players didn't make the trip for the Jacksonville Sharks. And you could tell how the game was played. Jacksonville was just getting their reps in, in my opinion. Not putting their players in major risk of getting hurt. No one was hurt for both sides. That's good news. But you have to tip your hat to Carolina. They took care of business. They controlled their own destiny. They took care of business, got the two, and got that pivotal home game in the postseason against a team they recently played in San Antonio twice back in uh, Greensboro. One of the things that stepped out and that, uh, that really got my attention this game is even though Jacksonville did not have Castronova starting, Renfro didn't play, there were also a couple other players that didn't play. I was very intrigued how this game was still a one-possession game late in the fourth quarter. And that just tells me a lot about Jacksonville. I know there's going to be a lot of fans out there that say, well, Jacksonville should have started Sam Castronova. No, you don't start your starting quarterback and some of your key receivers when the game doesn't mean anything to you. It's like how Jacksonville Shark, Jacksonville Jaguars did a couple last year in the NFL. They benched their, honestly, they sat half the offensive playbook or play team, the team against the Houston Texans in the meaningless game when they know they had the, the Tennessee Titans going the following week. They're not going to put any of their players in risk of getting hurt. What happened? Mm-hmm. Benefited Jacksonville. They beat the Titans, made the playoffs, and then they beat the Chargers. And so history, great year. But anyways, trying to make a comparison. It's the time. It's a situation where you look at other professional leagues, especially in football, where a, the one seed's pivotal. You get the one seed. You get home field advantage. But also, in some other leagues, you get the one seed. You're off for the first round of the playoffs. Jacksonville, the one seed, they know they're home next week. Why risk putting your star players in the injury, getting hurt, in a game that really doesn't mean nothing to you in the standings for ratification that, okay, you beat Carolina. The history between us and Carolina goes a couple years. We're very even with each other in the standings and the history. But I understand where a lot of Shark fans or a lot of people outside of Carolina, Jacksonville, saying why did Jacksonville not take this game seriously? They didn't. They didn't want to put players in help, uh, risk of getting injured. That's the main completely, reason. Completely it. That's that's absolutely it. No. Yep. And also, it. I gotta give credit to Jenshin Stoshak, Cam Solomon, for letting our boy Eddie Brill throw money, a couple touchdown passes. You could tell by Eddie he was still still a little inexperienced in playing uh, arena football. But still, the battle that Jackson had, keep this a one-possession game in the second half, was pretty interesting. Also, the Aussie, Mayer, got his first deuce in, care, in, in the game. So that was exciting. It was erased by T.C. Stevens. He got the deuce right off the, the next possession. But there were some moments in the game that were exciting. But go to the side of Carolina. When they force turnovers, they capitalize on those turnovers. Zach Brown, the one-man band, Zach Brown, was the star of this show, of this game. Couple of sacks, couple of forced, a forced fumble, a sack. I think he had two rushing touchdowns, so he was ever there, everywhere. 
the Iron Man of the Week, in my opinion, for this week. Uh, he got a recognition from us. We're not going to tell what we gave him for, but he got a recognition from us, from the ballots. This game, to me, was Caroline's chance of, let's get the two seed. Let's get a playoff game. Let's not show anything to Jacksonville, but get the win. For Jacksonville, let's not get any of our main guys hurt, but still play a competitive game. And let's see where it was at in the fourth quarter, which happened. It was two teams that they knew they're playing next week. They got playoff games, and we're not going to show a lot. They're not going to put guys in risky situations, or or put in situations where if you lose a like an Adam Smith in the fourth quarter in a game that's decided, that would have hurt. Or Sam Cashnow forgot a lineman rolled up on his ankle in the first possession of the first game of this game, that would have mm-hmm. crushed Jacksonville. So. As a Sharks fan, does it suck to lose? Yeah, you don't like losing. Losing is not fun. Winning's very hard, but winning's great. But I knew where Gibson was going. I know how he approached this game. In Carolina, I knew what they were going to do. Get it done. You control your own destiny. Get the win. Get the two seed and get ready for South Carolina. Get ready for uh, San Antonio. I'm going to say South Carolina. It's not college football yet, Jim. Uh, A couple of weeks, though. There's other expansion news happening, ladies and gentlemen. Not in the NAL. It's College football, it's pretty big. Right, right. <laughs> but that's not this show. We're not we can dig into it, but it's not this show. But for Carolina's sake, second seed, they did enough to win the game, but they didn't show what they they didn't want to show everything because they know they possibly play in the shark team in a couple of weeks, but they gotta take care of business against San Antonio. Same as San Jackson has to take care of business against Orlando. And we'll talk about that or later this week. We'll have your videos later to break down whatever. Uh, for the game day. And our guests would be special announced, and I got to get two football players this weekend. So I'm going to be busy this uh, for game day. Uh, I'm excited. It's postseason. Got to get ready for it anyways. Uh, but the cap off this game, the stars of the show, uh, this game, it's our unofficial mascot of the Inside the Walls podcast. That is Zach Brown, uh, the one-man band. Uh, he showed out no matter who is on the other side of the field. He doesn't care if it's a reserve or a backup player or the starter. He's going to outplay you. He did that. Cam Solomon had a couple of bright moments, a couple of touchdowns. Jensen had some great catches. He made a great catch in the game that got called back for a holding. Yeah, that, that one-hander is amazing, but it, yes. there was a there was a push-off. Yes. That's, and they, they'll they'll ding you for that if you and, show it enough. Is the and problem. also, Michael Robinson had a hell of a game. A little start a little of the game, a little chippy. I would expect him to get a flag for a certain thing he did, but he didn't. But he still had a solid game. Um, Nyquan Murray did Nyquan Murray th- things. Adam Smith, every time that guy touches the ball, you're like, oh, God, he's going to the end zone. Um, he did it a couple times as a receiver. He didn't do it as a kick returner this time. But there were some moments. Again, I think Carolina did what they had to do to get the win without showing Jacksonville their whole all offensive uh, playbook. And Jacksonville, I think, just wanted to get to the fourth quarter, be competitive, and see where it fell. Uh, win, great, lose. We got Car- we got Orlando next week back home in the Shark Tank. So overall, this past week for me, uh, especially for between this game, I think it's two organizations that really didn't care about this past game, but they knew the outcome already, and they just needed to do enough to get where they were at because they have bigger stakes at play in seven days, and that's hosting playoff games in greens in greensboro and in jacksonville so mm-hmm. they're the top two teams so that's my I, review I, of that game. 
I like Jacksonville's decision to sit Sam Castronova and give him Smart a break. decision, in my opinion. It is. It is. Because, I mean, look, like I said, meaningless game to you right now. You just want him to be healthy for the playoff stretch. Anyhow, uh, might as well have no chance of it being a problem. And, again, you have a pretty talent. You have a group of guys around you, and Eddie Brill's not too shabby to where you still can come out there and give the expectation, hey, even if we are – resting folks we still can go out there and try and get a win and i'll be frank right. you know they were in a position there late in, at least late in the third into the early fourth where you felt like they were going to be within a possession and maybe you could see them sneaking in an extra like an onside kick immediately after a td but really good play by michael robinson shut things down in the red zone and really just ended ended the contest in general yeah you know right. cobras chipped in a field goal later but it was pretty much over. Zach Brown gets a sack within a minute. Time just chips away. Game's over. Fifty to thirty-seven contest. So, but you know, I'll. That being said, I gotta give Jacksonville credit again. You know, it's not just the fact that Castro was out, but defensively, I think there were some there were some showings that I said I was putting a thumbs up, and going nice job, because if I account for the amount of field goals that Carolina settled for in this one. And the fact that they didn't score touchdowns or extra points on them. And I'm talking about points where it's either made or not made as well as for fourth and four and outs that didn't go their way or the end of the half where they couldn't convert a touchdown. Jacksonville made Carolina leave 22 points on the field in total. And that's what the 50th they scored on the night. So got to be honest with you, red zone defense for the sharks was actually pretty solid. It, It was really good showing for them. Because, got to be honest, Malik Henry and company felt very, it looked like they were uncomfortable. If you had to go inside the 10, and -hmm. it's harder to score inside the 10, people will tell you, because you have a lot less room for traffic, and good teams figure it out, and they are generally a good team. It felt like the Sharks had things locked down for the most part once you got inside the 10. They would just kind of like clamp up. So something to take away. You know, even if it's a game where maybe, you know, if you're Carolina, you're not showing as much, but you feel like, hey, we can still pretty much get this win. Let's just take care of business. They still had to fight for every inch of their yardage going there that other way. Not to mention, you know, Marvin Ross got a nice interception off a tip ball that did set them up to potentially get this one where they could be back in that onside kick scenario. Just, you know, things happened. Uh, fumble happens, game ends and away you go. But I got to get props. Jacksonville's defense showed up Carolina. I think that's something they'll have to address going into a gunslingers contest is, you know, They've had success against the gunslingers, but hey, what can we do a little bit better in the red zone to kind of say, to kind of open up some opportunities, maybe not feel as clammed up? Because that was something, that was their biggest issue, even in a win. They left points on the table, you know, really felt like they could have easily gotten up to 60 or so on the field if they had just executed in the red zone a little bit better. You know, San Antonio's got a week off, so you can't have those similar mistakes or similar I would say lapses again. It's still a good team. This was a team that was number one in the league last year, or number one league all year up until recently in seeding. And odds are that if it's Robert Kent coming out, he's got more time to get prepped. So got to be able to score one for one every possession. And, you know, Jacksonville did their job. They kept him in game. I was really impressed by that um, a lot. James Fuller had a bit of work on his hands a lot on Saturday night. And you got to give credit to Jacksonville on that great defensive showing. Uh, they're a defensive-minded team. Even though it doesn't seem like it, and arena football is pretty hard, 
Jacksonville is a defensive-minded team with an explosive offense. And that's a deadly combination. And Carolina is similar to that. Carolina's defense is pretty dang good, too, and they have a pretty good offense. Crap, we have Malik Henry a couple weeks ago throw 10 touchdown passes. That's incredible. That's pretty hard to do, but it's still pretty incredible. Yeah. And and also, I got you know tip my hat to the the fans that showed up in Greensboro. It's a nice showing. Don't know the official number, but I think it is the biggest uh, crowd they had all year. And for overall, the season itself, with the ups and the downs that we've had. And the nuggets we shared last week of what's coming pretty soon is it's pretty exciting uh, for the game itself. And if you thought arena football was exciting during the regular season with some of these matchups, postseason is just more intense. It is. You have a rivalry being played in Jacksonville this Saturday night between two organizations that do not like each other. And a future that's still up, you could say it's still up in the air or it's questionable. So there's going to be a lot on the line in this game. In Greensboro, you have a San Antonio team that at one point was the number one team in the league with the standings. Basically, they were the Carolina Cobras from last year. Started off hot. The league caught up with them, then surpassed them. And then you have Carolina, who's basically did the reversal from last year. Started off sluggish early, caught on fire at the end of the year, and now they're one of the hottest teams. So you have four storylines for four franchises. You have two teams that have won championships in the NAL. And this year, we will be claiming a new champion. Even because of the results of having one of our previous organizations. It all starts Saturday night at 5 o'clock. Or, no, 7 o'clock Eastern. Stinks that both games are on the same time. Yeah. Double screen it, though. You can do that. Yeah, (laughs) I'll be doing that while I'm in Jacksonville enjoying a very hostile environment. And then this time next week, we will know where the championship game location is at. And hopefully by then we'll have some venue announcement to announce of a live show for the championship game. Um, FYI, it's already been, we already know where we're going if it's in Jacksonville. Uh, but overall, we're going to have people question this. Is there any chance that Orlando can host? The answer is no. They're the four seed. They will have to travel no matter where they go in the next two weeks. San Antonio can only host if Orlando wins. Carolina can only host if Orlando wins. Jacksonville hosts no matter what the two games as they are the one seed off of the postseason. But you'll give your breakdown later in the week probably than Zach. But to close out the show, this is your only time to – what is your feelings on a Tuesday before postseason action begins this Sunday or Saturday? Excuse me, I'm getting the days confused again. This Saturday. Right now, I am very confident, at least, that I think Jacksonville is going to host. That that's that is uh call that my declaration for prediction. Um I'm very confident that the Sharks have 
their things in order um, that they're going to be hosting come next weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. I think I will personally be curious and a little more intuitive on the Cobra's Gunslingers game because I think that's the one that has a little more intrigue. And I say this for the facts that even with the Gunslingers losing two straight to the Cobras in the last three weeks, you have a team that got a week off to kind of study, experiment, get its stuff in order versus one that is on the hottest streak in the league right now heading into heading against each other and in for a big clash. Also to see the Cobras fandom come out for a playoff game, because no matter what the outcome is, is there, unless it is Orlando getting the ultimate upset, that is most likely to me going to be their final chance to go to a home game and root for their guys on the turf. Um, but I do, I, I would say I don't fully have a prediction now on that contest. I feel Jacksonville is going to be, no matter what, I think they will be hosting. No matter who wins in Carolina, I think you're going to see them in Jacksonville on, I think it's August 12th that they're mm-hmm. going to be playing there, if that was the case. Um, but, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Otherwise, get ready for explosive offense uh, for three of these teams. I'm not so sure the Preds will show up. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they get some fire under them. I just haven't seen it yet. But expect Jacksonville, Carolina, and San Antonio to put up big points and for some chippiness in these two contests at some point or another. I don't think they go out of hand. I just think that its intensity is more great. The stakes are higher. But expect some high scores for at least three of these teams. Yeah, the good thing about the postseason football is they're here today and two of them are gone tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so, and cold truth. Yeah. Uh, so we're down to four teams. Again, if you're listening to the podcast platform, Orlando is traveling to Jacksonville. The game is seven o'clock on August 5th. That's this Saturday. And San Antonio is traveling to Carolina. That's also on August 5th at seven o'clock Eastern, six o'clock Central for you f- fans in San Antonio. Uh, for your game itself. So postseason football is here this Thursday night. No, Friday. I think it's Friday we're doing it. I don't know. I got to check. I have another special guest. I have another special guest. So it's either going to be our normal normal time on Friday afternoon or a live stream Friday night. Don't know yet. I'll get the stuff figured out by this time. So coming Friday – you will have two guests on the show from the two visiting teams. We'll have an Orlando Predator player and the San Antonio Gunslingers player for this week's uh, game day to break down both playoff games. And we'll have a special co-host sitting, or not sitting, but right next to me, uh, also this Friday for NAL game day playoff edition. Playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? Playoffs. Uh, for the National Arena League. And then Zach will return most likely for rebound. Am I correct? I should be available. Like I said, okay. depending on what happens, you know, things get in the way for either of us, you should expect me for rebound next time, next week. Okay. And then next week's game day will actually happen probably on game day at the arena. Just giving you a heads up. So you'll, you'll want to, you'll enjoy that. He, Jim's going to have that one in store for you for a good time. So 
So that's what probably what's going is going to happen next week. But besides from that, ladies and gentlemen, again, we usually forget to do this, but please follow us on X, the X now, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, and also Threads. Threads is up, by the way. They said it's up. I still can't log on it, but apparently we have a Threads. Uh, so all of that is up and update. But remember, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. Also X, Twitter. Twitter has an X, whatever, uh, or X is Twitter, whatever. You know where you can find us at of a social. Also, our Patreon. Go to Patreon forward slash Inside the Walls Podcast. They get early access to content, podcasts, interviews, and so much more. We'll be more active on that. Over it's been pretty hectic couple of days. Remember, for any up to date news related to the National Arena League, uh, remember to follow us at In Walls Pod on all our menu platforms. And again. For your number one source of breaking news about the National Ring League and its organizations, remember to trust your source here and in Inside the Walls podcast. And also Zach when he wants to tweet too, uh, so you can trust him as well because he has contacts too. Um, but for that, I think I did all the homework. We're did we're good. Yeah, we got everything situated. So yeah, yeah, you got all you got all the bulls and whistles <laughs> out of the way. You did you did it all. But yeah, yeah, stay tuned to the social channels, guys. Be following along with the show. Support the show no matter who's on camera, of course. Jim's got mm-hmm. got the legs for it. Um, and we're definitely going to be having a fun time leading into championship weekend next weekend, whoever, whoever's going to be playing. Again, I might predict Jacksonville. doesn't mean it's going to be played in Jacksonville. So stay tuned for that info once we get through this weekend's edition of the semifinals of the NAL playoffs for the first round. Uh, and until then... See you guys on whenever I come on next episode. See Jim <laughs> next episode, no matter what. Uh, and no matter what, you always remember one final thing before we go. Don't be a Jack out of the box. Until next time, everybody. I'm glad to be back on Jim. I'll catch you next, for the next one. Stay tuned to this. Stay tuned to the show. See you then. Next, this Friday. Thursday, Friday, it sounds like. We'll, we'll catch you at the end of the week. Friday, we'll Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever. <laughs> Later in the week. We'll see you. (laughs) See you later. Covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Murnier.